You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Was any baseball safe in Baton Rouge this afternoon? Welcome into what will be a very short edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, Matt Miguez here, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. LSU moving on to their 16th Super Regional, which is second most all-time after taking down Oregon State 13-7 at Alex Box Stadium this afternoon. A offensive onslaught from LSU. Couple of easy runs late in the ninth from Oregon State, including a two-run inside the Parker. Uh, we'll get to all of that, and we'll, we'll talk about who they could face. We'll also get to the Cajuns' performance in the regional over in Miami this weekend. Producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Monday, sir. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fine, Matt. How are you doing on this Monday, even though it's been raining? I'm doing well. Yeah, you know, the the, the rain hasn't been great. Uh, glad that it stayed out of Baton Rouge, though, because, man, if another game of this regional would have been delayed, I think there would have been some problems. Because, you know, you looked at this weekend, and Friday kind of went off without a hitch, which was nice. But then you were supposed to play Oregon State on Saturday. Didn't happen. Because it just kept raining, and there was lightning. And it got to the point where it was going to be 11 o'clock before they started it, and they were like, no, we'll just play it tomorrow. It's fine. And then Sunday's game gets delayed three and a half hours. And so if you would have had another rain issue today, I don't think many people would have been very happy. Um, So the fact that the rain stayed away was a good thing. LSU again picking up a 13-7 win over Oregon State to advance to the Super Regional, which they will host at Alex Box Stadium. They await the winner of Indiana and Kentucky, who are currently playing right now. Bottom of the first, Indiana leads Kentucky 1-0. But, James, if you look at the Tigers today, you know, 19 base hits, 13 runs scored. Their two big innings were putting up four in the fourth and and five in the seventh. You got homers from Dylan Cruz, Hayden Travinsky, Cade Beloso, Gavin Duga. And the thing that was probably most intriguing about the offense was – Yesterday against Oregon State, you saw Hayden Travinsky and Kay Beloso hit back-to-back homers on back-to-back pitches. Well, today wasn't back-to-back pitches, but they did hit back-to-back homers as both Travinsky and Beloso went deep again in this game. Gavin Dugas getting a home run as well, and then Dylan Cruz adding on to what has been a magical season. His batting average is now up to uh, eh, 432. You know, mediocre, right? Um, But now, uh, again, you know, you got good pitching today as well. Uh, Riley Cooper came in, had a no-hitter through three and two-thirds, gives up the, the long ball 
in the fourth there. Threw 71 pitches, 40 of them for strikes. He had four Ks on the on the afternoon. Nate Ackenhausen came in, struggled a little bit, gave up two hits, two runs, only struck out one and one and two-thirds. Then Griffin Herring was the bright spot on the bump today. Three innings, three hits, two runs. He struck out four as well. Threw 44 pitches. He gets the win. He's 4-2 and two on the year. And then Gavin Guidry comes in to shut the door. Two-thirds innings, one hit, one run. He struck out one as well through 11 pitches in that one. But again, LSU headed to their 16th Super Regional. James, how important was it for LSU to win this game and not force a winner-take-all situation? Because you would have gotten to the point who were you going to go to in terms of pitching? I was going to say, you were kind of starting to run out of options. And with it being a close game yesterday and then you losing, that's giving Oregon State all the confidence in the world going into a game three. So it's a good thing that you would shut it down right then and there. You put up a bunch of runs. Your pitching was pretty good. Defense was pretty solid. You gave up a couple runs at the end, but it was like you already scored so much anyway, so it didn't really matter. So the fact that you would shut it down right then and there and didn't even give them a chance to try and put it to a Game 3 and have it be a winner-take-all type of situation, that was good on LSU to get it out the way. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, people talked about Southern Miss going to Tanner Hall today three days after he throws 123 pitches on Friday. Um, You know, the, the, the question was asked, could you see something similar with Paul Skeens? And I, I just don't know if you could go back to Paul Skeens after he threw 130 pitches on, on, on Friday, 115 pitches, however many it was. That's a tall, tall order to ask of a pitcher. I mean, you're talking about a guy who gets six days rest in a, in a given week. You, you want him to come back after two? That that's a bit that's a bit much. Um, now, if you only want to throw him an inning, maybe two. That's one thing, but if you were ever expecting a, a full outing after a guy a, a, of a guy two or three days after he throws a hundred plus pitches, I mean that's just in, insane. Um, so LSU definitely needed to get this one out of the way, and they did moving on to their 16th Super Regional in program history, which is, once again, the second most all-time. Going back to the Cajuns weekend, though, you know, you you look at Friday's game, a 4-2 loss to Texas, and you could argue that the Cajuns were robbed of, for sure, three runs. But some people would even venture to argue a fourth. Uh, the, the big play coming on that three-run home run that John Taylor, or it looked like he was hitting, uh, until Eric Kennedy reached his glove over the center field wall and brought it back in. So you played well enough to win in that game. You fell 4-2. to two. You go to the loser's bracket, you play Maine, and you absolutely thump them. 19-10, uh, to 10, it was 19-5 to five at one point. Uh, j- just really put them away from the, from the jump. Cajun scoring four in the second three in the fourth and fifth, and then they put up nine in the seventh to really put that game away. Um, And then, you know, you come back 
yesterday in a situation where you were going to have to beat Miami twice if you wanted to move on. And you you, you failed to do so. I'm sorry, you were going to have to beat Miami and then beat Texas twice if you wanted to move on, which was a really tall task. Uh, unfortunately, you couldn't get out of the way of Miami. They won 8-5. to five. Again, I thought the Cajuns played well in that game, but Miami just proved to be a little too much. They got that three-run homer early on in the game, and then Yohandi Morales scored. He had two home runs of his own, and it just really became a lot for the Cajuns to deal with as you came down the stretch. I mean, you made it a 5-4 game in the fifth and then that's really as close as it got because Morales got the homer in the seventh to make it 6-4. You cut it to 6-5 and then a two-run homer by Morales or a solo shot by Morales and then a solo shot by Long in the ninth. Just really put it out of reach for you 8-5 to five again. Uh, but a strong season for the Cajuns. They've got a lot to build on headed into the 2024 season. They're going to lose a lot. Uh, Carson Rockefort's going to go to the MLB draft. Uh, Julian Brock could go to the MLB draft. Uh, there, there's differing opinions on, on his draft stock. And then you've got seniors like Max Marshock, Heath Hood, uh, CJ Willis, the, Jake Hammond. There's a lot of arms and, and a lot of good defenders that you're going to lose. But you've got key pieces in your lineup returning for you. I mean, Caleb Stelly had a great weekend. He's going to be back. Kyle DeBarge is only a sophomore, so you know you know what you're going to get out of him for a, a few more years. Connor Higgs, Mason Zambo, Lee Amade. So there's young talent with this group to build around Peyton, Peyton Lejeune, Ben Robichaux. But the, the pieces that you were losing are going to be critical. So I'm really interested to see how Matt Deggs and his staff attack the offseason and attack the transfer portal because you're going to have to fill those holes. And I'm not saying that the guys that can fill those holes aren't already on the roster because they very well could be. But you've got to get more veteran leadership to fill those roles that Rockefeller and Marshak and those guys are leaving because the veteran leadership, having somebody that has been in that scenario knows what it takes to win a regional knows what it takes to get to a regional is going to pay dividends for those younger guys that out, outside of, you know, the guys that you have returning with guys like DeBarge and, and Robichaux and Zambo, you're not going to have that level of experience. Um, so so if there's some guys, you know, in the transfer portal from lower level P5s, you know, looking just for a, a new start, it might be a good idea for, for Matt Deggs and his staff to go attack those kinds of guys like a Max Marshock a couple years ago out of Texas Tech and really find your way uh, to build a roster that can compete once again to be in a regional. Because uh, that's the goal now. You've gone two years in a row. You have to keep it going if you're Matt Deggs and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Also, the NBA Finals 
nodded at one apiece after the Miami Heat take down the Denver Nuggets 111 to 108 last night. Nikola Jokic scores 41, but it was not enough for Denver. Series tied now one to one. They will head back to Miami with the opportunity for the Heat to take a lead in this series. In in a series where a lot of people said that the Heat probably didn't have much business being in. They were nearly eliminated from the play-in. They weren't safe against Milwaukee. They weren't safe against Boston. They weren't safe against the Knicks. And and now here you are two games into the NBA Finals and it's tied one apiece. They continue to show us why they deserve to be in it. Because we everybody keeps counting them out. And after game one, we had thought, oh, they're going to get swept after they lost and they were down by 20-plus. But then last night, they ended up being down huge third quarter from Jokic. But then to start the fourth quarter, Duncan Robinson and company, they just put their foot on the gas and they end up taking the lead and hold on to make it a to have it tied in the series. So it's even though we keep wanting to count out the Heat every time something happens to them, whether they lose a game or a player gets injured, it's like they are just a super resilient team and they are a well coached team that is going to make this series a lot farther. It's, it's going to be a lot more competitive than people anticipated, for sure. For sure. I think this could go to seven, for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this series plays out. These next couple games in Miami are going to be huge in, in determining how far this series goes. Because, you know, if it's a situation where, where Denver takes both of them, then, you know... They go back to Denver for Game Five. Things could be interesting, uh, but if it's a split, or even if Miami wins both of them, then yeah, I could definitely see this going seven games. Five thirty-two. We'll take a timeout here. When we return, Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, he's going to join us. We'll talk about Saints mandatory minicamp coming up next week. Plus, court dates have been announced for both Marcus May and Alvin Kamara. What does that mean for New Orleans? Plus, John Gruden working with the Saints last week, could hurt his lawsuit against the league. We'll talk about that next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 537. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotlines, 337 706 0-1-1-1, talking some New Orleans Saints as they get set for mandatory minicamp next week. And, uh, of course, the news earlier today of Marcus May and Alvin Kamara's court cases, uh, getting some dates finalized for that. Suspensions coming is very possible. Uh, to talk about that and much more as the host of the Locked on Saints podcast, Mr. Ross Jackson. Ross, happy Monday, sir. How are you? Hey, buddy, doing great, doing great. Glad to be here with you, as always. So let's start with, you know, transitioning from OTAs to mandatory minicamp. You know, this kind of week, week and a half, what's the process like for uh, an NFL organization to to get things rolling from voluntary to mandatory? Yeah, I mean, pretty similar in terms of what the the work is in terms of installing the offense and gathering uh you know information in terms of the 
the language of the of the defense, the language of the offense, the language of the playbook, all of those things. So you see some things there that are going to be pretty similar to what you've seen during OTAs and things like that. Um, but you know, you get a greater uh, you get a greater sort of uh, attendance or, or a greater number of of attendees, which probably matters a little bit more for. Uh, other teams than it does for the New Orleans Saints who have had really good OTA attendance despite the fact that they've been voluntary attendance as always across the NFL. Uh, but, you know, even for a team like the New Orleans Saints, getting from, you know, starting off everything with 90% attendance to getting to 100% attendance still moves the needle for you quite a bit. So guys who haven't been around so far, and we'll see if they're around during tomorrow's uh, OTA, final day of OTAs, it's open to the media, but guys like my, um like Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, Ryan Ramchek, guys like that, getting the opportunity to be in the building with some of the younger guys uh, definitely has its uh, has its benefits. Now, when, when looking at a veteran like Ramchek or, or Kamara, you know, is it one of those things where they they just use it as the opportunity to rest? Why is why what is the reason why so many veterans sit out OTAs? Well, with OTAs being mandatory, I think that there is something with some of these guys. I mean, you think about the fact that Ryan Ramchick has been battling, you know, lower extremity issues as well as back issues throughout basically since his collegiate days. Alvin Kamara plays a highly injured running back position. Taysom Hill's 32 years old and is often utilized as a ball carrier, very likely to be utilized as a ball carrier in this year's iteration of New Orleans Saints offense. So a lot of cutting, changing directions, taking hits things like that. Even during OTAs, like these guys that play running back still have to run through the trenches and still, you know, hit knees with other offensive linemen and defensive linemen and things like that. And then you have other guys that are just simply coming off an injury, the Andrews Peets and Cesar Ruiz and Trevor Pinnings of the world. So I think that, you know, when, when there's an issue or when there's a situation in which you have to come out and voluntarily put your body in harm's way, uh, some of these guys that have been in the NFL for a long time who know the playbook and have been with the team for a long time, there's not necessarily the same reason to put their body in harm's way in order to get out there on the field. So I think that a good portion of the guys that you're seeing who make that decision do so for the kind of uh, the betterment of, uh, of their own health and their ability to make sure that they're available for their team when it really matters, which begins with things like mandatory minicamp, but really, really gets underway when it comes to training camp and, then of course, when the season begins. Now, staying on the topic of health, you know, Nick Salvaderi and Kendra Miller are, are two rookies that have been battling some injuries. What's the latest uh, on those two guys, and, and will they be available in any capacity for, for mandatory minicamp next week? Yeah, I think the expectation for both of those guys is going to be for training camp. Um, you know, many mandatory minicamps, a three-day process of having those guys out on the field. Would you like to have them? Sure. Um, look, Kendra has been present the entire time throughout OTAs, uh, even though he hasn't been able to participate. So he's still out there. He's seeing how things are being run. He's getting notes. He's asking questions. He's working like crazy with uh, Joel Thomas, New Orleans Saints running back coach. And then for Nick Saldaveri, we saw him in the indoor facility continuing to rehab uh, his his calf injury. So he's one of those guys that's going to be coming in off of injury. So I wouldn't really expect to see them push him to get back out on the field until training camp when it matters. Uh, the most. So I, I don't know that you really expect to see either of those guys during mandatory mini camps, uh, although their presence will obviously uh, have an impact. And keep in mind that that presence isn't just about being on the field, it's in the classroom, in the weight room, in the film room, things like that. So it doesn't necessarily translate to them being present and out on the field. It goes for every player. And so with that in mind, I wouldn't be too 
um, concerned if you don't see them at mandatory minicamps, then I certainly wouldn't expect to see them at mandatory minicamps. Now, but before we get to the court cases for both Marcus May and Alvin Kamara, uh, an interesting storyline came out relating a lawsuit with the New Orleans Saints uh, just a couple hours ago. You know, last week John Gruden was was a consultant for the Saints' offense. Uh, now the news has come out that him working with the Saints could impact his lawsuit against the NFL, in which Gruden stated that leaking the emails would hinder his ability and you know put a, a damper on his reputation to the point where he wouldn't be able to get hired again. Do, do, do you think yeah. he hurt himself in that regard by working with the Saints? Yeah, I think that the NFL, and this was part of why I mentioned that you know for a lot of different parties involved that you know this was a lot of noise for very little for what will very likely be uh, you know a, a small amount of payoff, if any payoff. At all, I don't know what having John Gruden around for a couple of days really helps the New Orleans Saints achieve uh, going into you know this season. But this was a part of the example in terms of you know breaking it down and saying, look, this probably causes more noise than it does cause you know, or lead to any type of benefit. And a big part of that is is for John Gruden, John Gruden's case. Now, in John Gruden's sort of corner is this idea that well, he didn't get hired; he just got brought in to be a consultant. So you know that's not necessarily the same thing and. You know, if you're a guy that gets brought in to be a consultant when you were most recently an NFL head coach who is basically forced to resign in disgrace, that does kind of say, okay, well, here's my inability to get a job. You know, that would be like, you know, um, uh, you know, a guy that's a, a manager of a supermarket that, you know, gets released, you know, gets fired one day and then the next day is asked to come in and be a greeter at the door. Like those are, those are not the same thing. Right. So I, I do think that, you know, for, for John Gruden, I think the NFL would very likely use this as a part of their defense against, um, you know, that, that, um, you know, that lawsuit, but for John Gruden, it's very unlikely to have a full impact on what his actual claims are, which is that he won't get another job in the NFL because of this, or it will impact his ability to do it. He still to this day does not have another job with the NFL. Chatting with Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast. Now, looking at Marcus May, his court date was set for July 31st earlier today. You know, in his situation, or excuse me, rescheduled for July 25th. Now, in Marcus May's case, what what is a realistic punishment for him uh, with the charges that he's facing? Uh, well, I mean, you know, what, what the legal ramifications are, especially considering that it also includes, you know, a minor car accident and things like that as well, from my understanding, um, you know, that, that will have to be figured out sort of in the legal process. But for, for the NFL, independent of the legal process itself, usually first-time offense on a DUI or DWI cases are usually around three-game suspensions. So that's, that's what I would expect. Um, you know, an example would be P.J. Williams a few years ago, um, you know, and there were other, you know, suspensions that came from other guys like, um, you know, PED suspensions and things like that, that that fall into this kind of the same same context of first offense with an ability to be able to appeal. Oftentimes what you'll see is a player will get a three-game three, three game suspension, try to appeal to get the suspension removed or reduced, uh, reduced or removed entirely, and then either that suspension will be dropped to a two-game suspension or remain a three-game suspension. So it'll probably be one of those two uh, in terms of what I would expect for Marcus May. The biggest thing will be, will this 
this this July 25th trial date actually stand, or will it be continued again as it's been continued 13 times in the last two years already? Because this is not in any way connected to the charge that he received from from uh, here at Jefferson Parish here in Louisiana uh, on the alleged aggravated assault situation. This is still connected to two Februarys ago uh, when he was arrested for a DUI while a member of the New York Jets. Now, because the process has taken so long, do, do you think it maybe gets to the point where the the league could just you know look to punish him for the road rage incident last September rather than the, the DWI? Uh, it's it's possible, but if the NFL were to do that, then it would color the assumption that they would also be punishing him for the outstanding DUI case which could then go so far as to potentially impact the decision in that case in terms of the legal process. And so the NFL will usually do everything they can to avoid that. That's why they always wait for the legal process to come to a close and then do their own independent investigation and then hand down their discipline. They never hand it down before the legal process is closed up because they never want to create sort of a, we believe he did this, we don't believe he did this, whatever that might be from the NFL making the decision to suspend or not suspend. So with this case still being open, they're very unlikely to act on the other case at this time until this, this one that still stands is actually resolved. And then with Alvin Kamara's court case, you know, does this get delayed yet again, or or do you think we finally, you know, hear a legal decision and then a suspension decision from the from the NFL? Yeah, I, I think this one sits in the exact same court as the as the Marcus May one. Uh, you know, this this court case or this trial now it took forever to get the hearing done, but now they're into the conversation around the trial. Except for July thirty first, that's the first date that was set for this trial. Will that remain, or will that be? continued and, and, and continued to push down the road. There, there's a good chance that that happens with both of these cases. Um, the the um, the other party in May's case has tried to file motions, according to ESPN's Cat Terrell, or reported by ESPN's Cat Terrell, rather, uh, that, you know, they tried to file motions to, to expedite the process. Clearly, that has not happened <laughs> because it's been two years uh, since that all happened. So we'll see if that one gets pushed, but I don't know of any such uh, motion being made in Alvin Kamara's case. And so there's a chance that this potentially come, gets to July 31st, and maybe we see Alvin Kamara out on the field during training camp or whatever, you know, depending on what day of the week that is. And then this thing just continues to get, con- uh, to get continued and postponed and pushed down the road. So we'll have to kind of wait and see if these dates actually hold. And then after that, we can start to talk about whether or not, you know, when the, the NFL might you know, hand down its discipline plus the appeal process and all these other things. So no matter what, this is going to go beyond the 31st in some capacity or another, but will it begin in earnest for the NFL at that time remains to be seen. As we wrap up with Ross Jackson, you know, as we head into mandatory mini camp next week, what are some things you're looking out for during that three-day period as, as the final tune-up before training camp? Uh, very curious to see. Uh, I, I've been, you know, kind of curious about Taysom Hill, and you know, we mentioned I mentioned earlier that it makes perfect sense that he's not around during voluntary OTAs, considering that it's voluntary. He's 32 years old. The role that he's asked to play, all these other things, that could potentially lead to injury. But I am very, very interested to see, you know, what his role is going to be because since you know the off season, the Saints have added several tight ends. They even went so far as to add a new fullback, and you know, they brought in a new quarterback. And so, what is Derek Carr's actual role 
in the New Orleans Saints offense. Dennis Allen says that they don't plan to change it very much, but I'm not sure at what point they actually figured it out last year either in terms of you know a consistent game-to-game uh, process. And so I'm very, very interested to see you know that. I'm interested to see you know um, uh, Alvin, uh, excuse me, um, Derek Carr getting to work with maybe some more of the veteran offensive linemen in front of him, and then to just continue to track the injury progress, and then of course the, the progress of the new faces that are around as well. So lots of big questions for the New Orleans Saints. But the good news is that these are big questions because of how exciting this team can be, as opposed to it being big questions about you know are the Saints going to be able to field a viable product in 2023 they're absolutely going to be able to do that now we just kind of get a get better look at what that's actually going to look like a little bit once we get to mini camps ross jackson host of locked on saints joining us here on crunch time ross appreciate you as always enjoy the week my friend and uh, we'll do it again soon thanks buddy appreciate you right back at you talk to you soon take care stay safe and there he goes ross jackson we'll take a time out wrap up today's short show right after this this is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The defending World Series champs are starting to warm up, and you can see them live in person. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. La Meridian Houston downtown and the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. As we wrap up today's edition of Crunch Time, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, let's talk some Houston Astros. Astro launch currently underway over on News Talk 98.5. The 35 and 24 Astros taking on the 33 and 27 Toronto Blue Jays from the Rogers Center. Brandon Belak on the mound for the Strohs. Two and two with 3.19 ERA on the year. He's given up 33 hits. And six home runs on the season. Alex Manoa, one and six with a 5.46 ERA in 57 innings. He's given up 61 hits and 10 homers. He will be on the mound for the Blue Jays. Dubon, Pena, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu, Jolks, Diaz, Myers is the batting order for the Houston Astros. Big weekend for the Strohs this past weekend as they took three out of four of the Los Angeles Angels. Jordan Alvarez just continues to be superhuman. 15 home runs, 51 RBIs in 60 games. Uh, That puts him on pace, James, for about 40 home runs and about 160 RBIs. Um. Once again, that's MVP numbers. And if it's not, if you disagree with that, well, then that's just not factual. Um, but James, tonight against the Toronto Blue Jays, does Houston get it done on the road in what is the fourth of seven meetings between the Astros and the Blue Jays? 
Well, first off, the Astros just can't get a break. They can't get a day off, huh? No, they cannot. <laughs> no, they one, cannot. One four-game series. Now we got another. And then you'll have a weekend series with Cleveland at Cleveland. I think they start off on the right foot against Toronto tonight. Yeah, I think, I, I think Brandon Belag gets his third win of the of the season. I think they pick up a win tonight as well. Uh, Jordan Alvarez goes yard, maybe maybe a Breggy bomb. Ooh, it'll it'll be a, it'll be a good night for the Astros. Give me seven three Houston. I was gonna say five three Houston. I'm going for a little more offense, but hey, that's fair. I'm not. I wouldn't be mad at it. Want to take the opportunity to thank Ross Jackson for joining us on what was a very short edition of Crunch Time. Come back tomorrow, four to six. We will go in much more detail on the regional weekend. We'll also know all the super regional matchups, so we'll break those down as well and talk some NBA finals for James Mash. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home to the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros, the Astros and the Blue Jays over on News Talk 98.5.